Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Hey everyone, it's Roy Wood Jr. Now, it's football season, so I wanted to revisit this episode of Beyond the Scenes where we go a little deeper into racist native sports teams' mascots. In this episode, I sat down with Bomani Jones from HBO and Crystal Echohawk from Illuminative to discuss the Washington football team's name change to the Washington Commanders. We also talked about, you know, what responsibility do the Kansas City Chiefs and the Braves and the Cleveland Guardians have. And, you know, this is an important discussion because we talked about how native and indigenous folks are portrayed in the media and how harmful anti-native imagery affects those communities. Take a listen. Hey, I'm Roy Wood Jr. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes a little deeper into topics and segments that air originally on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Today, we are discussing a hot topic. You know, that Super Bowl is coming up. We are discussing racist sports team names especially the ones that are appropriating native culture. So, you know, the Washington football team changed their name to something different. So we're going to break that down today. I have two guests to help me do that. The first one, this brother is a friend. This brother is a friend, and I've been a fan of his work for a long, long time. He is a sports journalist. He has a show coming to HBO a little later this spring that's going to focus on the intersection of sports and race and gender and politics and economics. The show is called Game Theory. His name is Bo Money Jones. Bo, how you doing today, brother? Oh, good, man. How are you? You got a little energy in your tank to talk racism. I know you've been talking a lot of black racism. We got to talk different saying, racism. It got cracking on February 1. It's going to be a doozy. <laughs> also joining us today is the founder and executive director of Illuminative. It's a nonprofit organization that is focused on increasing native and indigenous visibility all across the spectrum, not just sports, but also entertainment, politics, all of that. She is a citizen of Pawnee, Crystal Echo Hawk. Crystal Echo Hawk. I said it right the first time. I was doubting yeah. myself. Crystal, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Thanks. Thank you. So let's just dive right in. Crystal, I'd love to start with you. You know, the Washington football team, they changed their name to the Commanders. Um, you know, what? what is your feeling? Let's, let's just start right here. The day that you found out that the Washington football team had decided to just drop the original name and go, hey, give us a couple of years, we'll figure it out. But for now, we won't carry that name anymore. What were your thoughts and feelings on that? I mean, it was really emotional, you know? I mean, you know, everybody kind of remembers back like Dan Snyder saying, never, you know, print that capital letters, underscore, this is never happening. Um, and, you know, this has been a fight that's been happening for decades. I mean, starting back in the early 60s, right? Suzanne Harjo really was one of the, the first person to really 
put this forward about, you know, the team dropping this dictionary to find racial slurs. So that gives you a sense of the arc of how how long and how many generations have been fighting this, you know, vicious battle. I mean, we were told by pollsters going back into 2017 and 2018, you will never win this mascot battle ever. Americans aren't behind Native peoples on this. And so to see this moment fast forward to July 2020 and the announcement, it was it was incredibly emotional for for so many native peoples across this country when we talk about allyship you know and that announcement from you know washington football team owner dan snyder came you know on the backside of the black lives matter movement uh bomani how much do you feel like that movement and i don't want to say helped but in terms of just collectively as a country we just all just put our foot down and just went yo we're not taking this. And matter of fact, here's a couple other things that need to change. Matter of fact, Cleveland Indians, y'all change y'all shit too. Can we talk a little bit, uh, Bo, just about what are some of the ways, you know, and Crystal, I'd love to get an answer from you after Bo on ways that Black people can be supportive of causes like this or the ways that one group is able to draft off of another. Well, the way I think it helped on this one that I think was interesting when Washington made the decision to do this, and it was the same thing I felt about the state flag in Mississippi. We wasn't even really talking about that, right? Like, you know, like (laughs) like it just, out of nowhere, the Washington football team just popped up. It was like, you know what? Time for a change. We're like, really? After all this kicking and screaming and his foot stomping and everything else, you just popped up and just decided you were going to do it. And I think that something that happened with those names with regard to this was, a big part of the refusal to change these names, to me, it's just always been about white people just not letting nobody tell them what to do. Because it's not as though the Washington football team changed the name and a single solitary person who ever said, I'll never watch them again if they changed the name. Not a single one of them stopped, right? They got all kinds of other reasons not to watch that sorry football team. But every time somebody swears up and down, they ain't never gonna go back, or they ain't gonna do anything else with one of these teams. They changed the name and the people stay, right? Like there's nothing to be lost. There's no money to be lost. They just don't like being told what to do. We've seen this come up in all these different ways. And so I think after George Floyd, it led to kind of a broad look for a lot of corporate entities at a lot of things that they did. And I also think it was an opportunity for a lot of those entities to get out in front, right? Like you can make the argument in Mississippi, they took the flag down for somebody else did it for them. And that was, I thought- To look progressive. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I, that was what I thought was the most interesting part, because people have really, really, really been fighting for this for a very long time, and they just turned a deaf ear to it. And then one day, this dude who swore he'd never do it, under a measure of duress from a number of angles, just said, here's what I'll do. I'll just go ahead and change the name. Didn't even have no name. That's how you know they didn't have a plan. <laughs> they were just like, all right, something going to change today. <laughs> they was like, Prince, we will be a symbol. For yeah. a while. And, and I approved it. Like, that was about, like, if you were going to wait till you got the perfect name, you were never going to do it. That was the one thing I gave him credit for. It's like, it's got to change to what? Something else. What about nothing? Something else? Nothing? Works. Cool. Boom. Changed. Crystal, this has always been an interesting, I would say, as a Black person growing up in Alabama, racism is a very insular experience in that you are focused on your people and your struggle and your fight and your fight. And it wasn't until I got to Tallahassee and I went to Florida a and and we would go over to Florida State to do a little bit of drinking from time to time, with, you know, with the folks over there. And 
we would see members of the Seminole Nation protesting outside of Dote Campbell Stadium. And that was really one of the first times, you know, talking to 17 year old where I was really being open to everything else that things that I never thought about. And, you know, you, you know, and I came up in the 90s, Tomahawk Chop, all of that nonsense. And so how can other groups, how can other people of color that are not part of your community make sure that we're supportive in a way that doesn't erase your fight or step in front of your fight? Because that's the thing that black football money know what I'm talking about. When it, you, you go to a black protest, it'd be too many white people like, wait a minute, white lady, let me let me stand in front of you now. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing in a native protest. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I want to go back to something that Bomani said and like really recognize. I mean, like this, you know, this fight's been going for decades. Right. And I think that's the majority. Majority of Americans just thought this was because of George Floyd that this happened. No, you know, decades long. But it was unfortunately his death. Right. It just it launched this perfect storm that that it all of a sudden, you remember the brands, Aunt Jemima, everything started falling. And I'll never forget the day on that Blackout Tuesday. And the team was like, Where's, we stand against systemic racism. And it was AOC and then Congresswoman Holland that called the team out. And it just launched a wave. And right then at that simultaneously, there was a native organization that was started organizing those $620 billion worth of investors right mm-hmm. that came in and started really like that was the nail in it that you know snyder knew you know that's it under duress right this was not that they were willing to do it so i just want to like you know just it's george floyd you know on so many levels and we you know it just has such a special place in our hearts as native peoples and in like our his family and just like really thinking about that moment but i think it just set this moment where increasingly i think hopefully as people of color we're starting to see each other more and about where our struggles connect, you know, around this. And I think that was just like the the key thing is like really understanding since 2020 more is this conversation about systemic racism and other in the ways that it's beginning to impact all of us. And I, I think it's really been an opportunity to start to educate, you know, lots of allies and people of color that the R word is the N word to us, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think there's like such a deep psychology in this country about playing Indian and the conquest, like that even when we shout from the rooftops, this is racist. We don't want this anymore. People are like, no, you don't even know your own mind. We're honoring you. Like, I, you know, and I watched yesterday with the Washington announcement, they released a video yesterday. They said the R word probably two dozen times in their new video announcing the new name. And it was like really this dog whistle. And I just thought, you know what? What if they had said the N-word 20 times in that same video? Nobody would have stood for it. But yet yesterday, you know, it was just showing that the team, I don't think, on uh, is clearly not taking this seriously. They have not learned their lessons if that was part of their rollout. And so I think it's, you know, it's frustrating. But I do feel like we've really begun to make headway and where people are beginning to really understand this issue and where Native peoples are coming from more. So to that point, Crystal, uh, Bomani just to show how ahead of the curve you've been on talking about this problem in professional sports. God, what was that, five, six years ago where you wore the it Caucasian shirt? April of 2016. Yeah, the Cleveland's team, before they changed their name <laughs> to the Guardians, you somehow, I don't know where you procured a whitewashed face of Cleveland's mascot, and you had on a shirt that had the Cleveland Caucasians, and boy, they was mad at you. So we need to address the elephant in the room. Your t-shirt is dominating the social media conversation right now amongst our viewers. What motivated you to wear it? It was clean. 
Like, I think number one, the fact that it was clean was mm -hmm. a good start. The other part is I really like the shirt. I think it's funny. It's like it's just like the Cleveland Indian shirt, like exactly the same as the mm -hmm. Cleveland Indian shirt, with just one small change. Yeah. That's it. This is the same thing that goes on with the logo for the Cleveland Indians, right? Yeah. So, like, to have a problem with the logo of this would be to have a problem with the Indians. But if you're quiet about the Indians and now you got something to say about my shirt, I think it's time for introspection. This is brilliant. <laughs> What point were you trying? Because you weren't even on the show that day to talk about baseball. No, I, I was wasn't talking about some other stuff. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> even trying to prove no point, though. Like, that's the thing about it that was so interesting to me, because I'd had that shirt for a long time. Like, I'd worn it in public. Like, it wasn't like I have a shirt for this <laughs> very occasion, right? I was like, oh, this shirt's funny. The point to me was obvious. Like, I didn't think I was... Because people have been saying these things for so long, I didn't think I was offering anything deep or profound, right? Like, I wasn't hitting anybody with anything that they hadn't heard before. To me, it was just a funny shirt. That was all it is. Like, I am absolutely not a hero on this because I did not do the math and realize what it might uh, turn into when people saw it. And so, as much as we talk about people being mad about it, kind of. Right. Like I didn't have any problems at work. Nobody gave the only talk they had with me was like, look, it's, do, it's the shirt is dominating the show. And that's a problem. So if you could zip your hoodie up around it, which I thought was a reason. <laughs> but I thought that was a reasonable thing to say. Like if you're producing a television show and one thing is taken away from the actual television show, then, OK, I've done this for an hour. Right. Like I get it. I'm not going to fight you about it. And so I went ahead and did that. But it was a lot of people rather than saying they were mad. A lot of I'm not mad. You're not owning me. You thought you were going to make me mad, but no, 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 no. I'm not over here mad. I'm like, bro, I wasn't even thinking about you. So, like, maybe they were mad, but one thing I felt like I learned in that is we give too much country to the loudest, angriest people. Because overwhelmingly, what I got in response to that was support. Like, the significant majority of the people that I heard back from were like, whoa, this is so cool. Whoa, this is so cool. Whoa, still, thanks for standing. Like, all that kind of stuff. I think the negative stuff was actually a minority and probably a small part of it. Like, I think there was actually a bit more popular support behind this because in the end, people just don't really care. Like, the, that was the problem is that having a Native mascot, they didn't even give that any thought. Like, to them, it's not an overt, oppressive act. It's just like, oh, we want to make this the name of our team. And if they didn't do that, they name it after an animal. And yeah, it's really problematic that they see those two things as being the same. But I don't think that Americans have a real passion about it. Like, this is much more about the kind of passive racism that exists and that people just let slide because it's what they've always done. Like, the football team in Washington, the part that nobody talks about is they are historically sorry. Like, if you're my age, you remember when they won those three Super Bowls? But that's basically the only time they've been good. And they were the longest segregated franchise in the NFL. And subsequently, one of the worst franchises in the NFL for basically up until like 1970. They had two good coaches. So my point being, this name is actually attached to far more losing than it was ever attached to winning. They were just holding on because they, God forbid, they let anybody else tell them what to do. I wonder what it would be like, though, if you put that Caucasians T-shirt on right now again, because it yeah. is next level now from when the first when you did that first time to now and where people. Yo, that guy who makes those shirts has a picture of me up in his house because um, that show that I was picture. on. Yeah, because that show that I was on aired it from six to ten Eastern. And so he wakes up at like seven o'clock or seven thirty and he's like, huh. Let me go see if we got any orders in overnight. Whoa! <laughs> and it just completely, like, and I promise, 
I really didn't think that this was going to happen like that. I was just sitting it there blissfully unaware. Brilliant. And then it was like, <laughs> oh, this is a thing. <laughs> so, Crystal, to Bomani's point, uh, just how conversations grow and a groundswell starts, it may have, the germination may have been one thing, but it blows up into something else. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about Illuminative and what you all do, because this is a much bigger discussion than sports. When we're talking about discrimination and the perpetuation of stereotypes against the natives, what does your company do to fight some of those stereotypes? Just talk a little bit about Illuminative for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Illuminative is founded uh, on research, right? And I think it was just, you know, I've been an organizer activist my whole life, you know, working in Indian country. And I think just throughout life and talking to so many different Native peoples, like we constantly feel like invisible, right? We're not showing up anywhere. People aren't taking us seriously. And if we, you know, when we come out on anything, it's like we're reduced to a character caricature. So we did this research to really look at, you know, what are the dominant perceptions and narratives that Americans have about Native peoples? Why do they have these perceptions and how do they affect the way that Native peoples are treated? And so what we found is that nearly 80% of Americans don't know anything about us, right? And depending on where you live in the country, there are pockets of this country that aren't even sure if we exist anymore. Because if you're not in proximity to a reservation, right, then you're just in, then we're not represented in media. Our representation in media is less than 0.4%, right? And 90% of schools in this country up until very recently, you know, don't teach about Native Americans past 1900. So yet literally Americans are almost conditioned, right? Coming out of K through 12. And then when you, you don't see us in the media, you don't see us in TV and film, that we don't, we cease to exist certainly as a contemporary people, right? We exist in the past and in what little representation that kind of ekes through is typically pre 1900 if it's tv and film you know and and people can literally have a very hard time conceiving of native peoples in a contemporary context so as we began to learn that and really unpack that we realized you know working with a lot of social psychologists and people looking at certain things that it affects the way that we're treated it really perpetuates discrimination and racism against native peoples to think that we don't exist we're out of sight out of mind and the, and the few things that kind of condition to, you know, inform the way people think about us are things like racist sports mascots. Like Nielsen did a poll last year. 56% of the fans polled said that the only time they see anything related to Native peoples is if they're watching, you know, one of these teams with their mascots, right? And that's people in red face, turkey feathers, acting a fool that has nothing to do with really Native cultures and Native people. So, you know, we realized, you know, with this research that we, that representation truly matters. That is not just a catchphrase, right? Because the way that we show up and presented, you know, in the world really conditions the way that we're treated and not just in day-to-day life, the way the courts treat us, Congress treats us, you know, the way that our children are treated in school. So really illuminative fights to, you know, fights against systemic racism and fights against the erasure, right? We fight against these toxic stereotypes and false narratives, and we really work to amplify who Native peoples are today and our issues, our points of view, and in key spaces like pop culture and media and also politics. Yeah, like I'm trying to think, Bo, you know, and granted, this is an Alabama school system pre-CRT, Native representation in history is Thanksgiving and cowboys and Indians. And I think after that, it's just a mystery what happens to Natives after that. Like there's not much. And then in TV, it was always you're the sidekick or you're the magical Yoda type. Go here and here's some wisdom. Now go forth and go do the thing that you need to do. 
Yeah, like the native homie in the crew just doesn't come up on a lot of television shows. You know what I mean? No. Like, it, like, like, and that, and that, but that's the thing that you know when you talk about a representation, like you really get to a point on this stuff where somebody's just there, and that part of them is not a plot device. You know, it's not like something we're going to go to for a joke all the time. And I think it's one of those things that's easy for people to not think of. And I think the point you made, especially depending upon what part of the country that you live in, where you're just not going to encounter Native people. Um, and it can be what part of like a county that you live in. Like I think of a place like Palm Beach County of Florida, for example, that as you're getting toward the beach, you have no idea that the west side of that county is a lot more Native than you would have thought of, right? And the worlds kind of don't meet and don't come together. And that's a significant part, I think, of the problem that you have is that it is very easy to think of Native Americans or Native people, excuse me, as just like history. Because like you talk about in school, I know it came up in our Texas history class in seventh grade, you know, because they had to act, somebody was here, right? Like they, they, they had gotten past the point acting like they showed up and it was like, wow, look at it. Pick, a, pick whatever, whatever desk you want, right? Like it wasn't one of those situations, right? Like they at least acknowledged that part. And then you get to Trail of Tears and they're like, oh, done with that. Like when you, I, I'm willing yeah. to bet yeah. that if you ask most people about what they learn in history, it is the, the trail of tears is where it stops. But think about like metaphorically what that means. We are saying we got them up out of here and there's nothing left to discuss. Exactly. exactly. After the break, I want to talk a little bit more about the Washington football team and the Cleveland Guardians and what they got right and wrong in their transitions. And also, Chris, I want to talk to you about some of these other teams that are still holding it down Dan Snyder style and saying, we ain't never changing racism today, racism tomorrow, racism forever. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's how they said it, but that's basically, that's what, basically so what they're saying. So Alabama, you broke out a George Wallace quote. <laughs> Rob would love to see somebody like do a series because every Southern state has their George Wallace. It's like it's a different person in every one, like the one standout racist. Strong permanent right, like, ass. Right, like, right, right. Georgia has less thematics. Um, I mean, it's a hell of a competition in Mississippi. I don't know who, who ultimately becomes the champion in that battle royal. <laughs> <laughs> Texas like that, too. Texas ain't got one. We've got, we had a Royal Rumble in here. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. 
Yeah! I'm retired from life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Crystal, I'll start with you. How do you feel about the new name? Commanders. We're the <laughs> army. And we're in charge. You know, the same army that told them Indians to get on out of here. What did they get right? What did they get wrong during this supposed two-year learning period and reflection and studying and speaking with members of your community? Well, I have to say I'm enjoying all the memes. I mean, it's just been hilarious, like gut laughs, right, at at people's reactions to the name. And, you know, I'm kind of like, whatever. I mean, at this point, you know, I think we were just so focused on the team not having coming up with a name that had anything to do with Native peoples, right? So, I mean, honestly, I could care less. I mean, that's for the Washington fans and everyone else to litigate and laugh at, you know, the commandos. I mean, everybody was enjoying all the things uh, yesterday. What did they get right? I mean, I think they definitely did go talk to Native people, right? Like dozens, you know, a couple dozen Native peoples. And I think they did focus groups. The team met with us last spring, right? Um, And, you know, I think that they, I felt like they heard us, right? And just kind of people, you know, and even knowing where some of the options they were looking at around wolves and different things. I mean, they really did have some conversations. And I felt like they listened, right? Just stay away from a bunch of things. And like, you know, so whatever direction they ended up in with this military thing, I mean, that's a whole next level discussion, Um, (laughs) you know, right? I mean, but I mean, I think finally, you know, I can tell you up until the last minute, Native peoples were holding their breaths because we just don't trust them, right? Like, what are they going to pull? And um, so I think we were, you know, relieved it had nothing to do with this. But again, Watching the rollout yesterday and seeing that video, I had a former reporter send it to me last night, like fit to be tied. I mean, it just was this dog whistle and it was kind of this wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the fans around that name. And it's just like really showed that, that, you know, internally in that organization, they still don't get it. They still don't get that this was like the most disgusting racist term ever and the harm that they, they created. And so you know, they're on my call list today to kind of like, you know, on the one hand, you're telling Native peoples this, but here's your actions. Again, there's just clearly some things in that inside that franchise that have not changed. And, you know, and I think that they got a lot more to do. They haven't apologized. And if you actually look at so much of the announcement and rollout, there's really no recognition, right? They just sort of dance around why they had to actually change the name. It was like, you know, now like, oh, we wanted to do this almost, right? And kind of embracing it. And I think, You look at all the Native leaders commenting yesterday saying, this is not enough. Where's our apology? Where's the apology to the activists that they harassed and targeted, like Suzanne Harjo and Amanda Blackhorse, right? I mean, disgusting, really vile, vicious behavior that, you know, there were like death threats against some of these activists, you know, and what are they going to do that 90 years of racism that they perpetuated, like overnight, everything's okay? No. And I think that's where, you know, Native people's Indian country is like, we're going to still work to hold this team accountable. 
Well, I think on in line with that, I think that there's something fundamental to like this team has historically believed, and this goes back to the 1950s and 60s with their segregation. They have historically believed that their fans like a little racism, right? Like the <laughs> argument against integrating the team for George Preston Marshall was that yeah. our fans don't want black players on our team, right? They have made this guess, right? And I always wondered. Anybody who swore they'd never watch that team again, uh, if they ever had black people, then I think it's 17 years later, Doug Williams wins the Super Bowl with them. And I bet they were all sitting there watching, but they operate on this assumption that people like this, like they believe that their fans think this is all better with a little racism. Again, it sure seems that whenever they change these things, the world keeps on spinning and nobody does anything. And so I've always wondered, like when they decide they're going to come up with a new name or what they were going to do. If they did in part feel like they had to give a little nudge to be like don't worry we're still we're still with you right like fundamentally the audience for them is white people and i feel like race so often in this country as is discussed by white people between white people is just kind of something to talk about like you know you root for this team i root for this team and in the end we go home and we're all still friends we just root for different teams because it don't mean the same thing to them like ultimately when it comes down to it this it's not it it doesn't have the same gravity it's not as serious you know when it comes in and so that to me i thought was a huge part of the washington story that gets lost is a lot of this is on snyder as it was on cook before him as it was on the marshals before them but at some point as fans you got to stand up and just kind of be like yo why do y'all think we so racist or just say that you are but they definitely think that you are and if i say something about these people being racist everybody want to come march about it these teams tell you that they think you're racist and you're like eh, a little bit maybe, maybe. <laughs> gosh was there the same feeling, Crystal, of insincere sincerity from the Cleveland Guardians when they changed their name? Because they got roasted, too, because everybody's like, y'all didn't name the team after two statues that look over traffic. <laughs> kind of smelled you like did. they didn't have a plan either, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, I mean, I think they had a really different process, right? You know, again, I think then to Washington, I mean, again, you know, it's a whole other thing. I mean, I think, you know, for the for the for native peoples, particularly people living in the Cleveland area, I mean, it was just a long, hard fought battle and they were just relieved again, you know, to finally that the name was getting away from it. Um, but it was a much more closed process, um, you know, but I mean, I just think there's it's just not the same level of vitriol. Right. And just I mean, they were never as nasty as the Washington team and their leadership. Right. So I think it's just, you know, it's kind of looked at in a different way. I don't think with the same kind of distrust and, you know, and I think today looking, you know, reading through all the, the social media around Indian country, people are pissed at the team. You know, I mean, even though we're relieved, it's just still like so evident that I don't think that they've really learned. And, and as you know, Wanda, you put it right. I mean, it's that's their legacy. And if you watch the video, their legacy is nothing but showing the R word. And that is I mean, it was really like. It was a wink, wink, you know, nod to that. And um, it's just, it's, you know, the NFL, as we know, has a little bit of a racism problem. And there's the understatement. So. Well, Chris, I'm curious about this with Cleveland, because to me, you know, I'm speaking from obviously a bit of a comfortable distance. And like when I hear Indian, I hear Indian like I hear colored, right? Like it's an antiquity that's born in a bunch of stuff, but not a slur in the same way as we talk about these other things. The thing with me with them was always Wahoo, which by the way, they had, if you don't know, 
they have evolved. There's been various forms of Wahoo. This form of Wahoo, the, the, the last one of Chief Wahoo, the mascot they had, is actually progressively less offensive than like the two or three incarnations that had come up previous. Like they had held on. That was always the one where I'm like, you got this thing on the hat. You can't yeah. do that. Like, like that was always the, the most Mohawk in- and everything. Yeah, that was always the most indefensible yeah. part. And then that last year when they looked like they might almost win the World Series, they had one of the old timers from the 1948 World Series team come back. And he had one of the antiquated Cleveland <laughs> Chief Wahoo. And I was floored. It was the mascot as much as anything else that they held yeah. on. People like, look, can you move off from this? Look, can you move off from this? Can you move off from this? And at points teams, it seemed at points that there would be times the leadership was like, yeah, we can do this because they can go sell new stuff. They were just so afraid of these angry fans. And what in the world are these fans going to yes. do? And I'm like, do you know anything about Cleveland sports fans? Do you see the losers they have attached themselves to for <laughs> decades? And you think they going to quit you over this? Are you serious? But they just refused to let go of that part. And that, to me, was just it was just always so striking that nothing was quite like that. Because I feel like, and I could be wrong here, but I feel like, the best way to get people to not pay that much attention to your native mascot is if your uniforms are attractive. So the Chicago Blackhawks managed to dodge this in a bit of a unique yes. way. They have very striking jerseys. Like I'm not saying that they are not problematic. I'm saying visually they are striking. The Braves have had those uniforms that they've been wearing now since 1987. You can't think of very many teams that have had uniforms the same without any fundamental change to them that long like they found a design and they stuck with it the chiefs same way somehow now granted their names are a little different it's not you know it's not the same as the r word and all of these things but those are the ones that get to skate if we don't think your gear is hot we're telling you that you got to get this stuff out of here (laughs) you know i think that's part of it right but i mean just one point i want to make like i think a lot of times what people don't understand and i'm glad you bring this up is it's not always about the name Right. I mean, like the R word, that's like that was next level. Right. People are like Chiefs, Braves, like Blackhawks. Come on. what What's Native people's problems here? And it is it's about the imagery. Right. But it's also about the, the racist sports fan behavior that starts spinning out from it. The red face. Right. Red face is the equivalent to black face. Right. The turkey feathers, the drum, the, the tomahawk chop, all these things that mimic and mock Native peoples. It has nothing to do with anything related to traditional Native culture. So it's really this ecosystem that radiates out, even from a name that might not on face value look like it's offensive. It's 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 the culture that radiates out or the way that rival fans will use hate speech, right, when they're cheering against those teams that ends up being hate, racist speech against Native Americans. And Chris, I'll tell you something I didn't know. I did not realize until very recently that like sports teams that are the Warriors, that that was basically a euphemism for previous native names. Like I was on a little league team when I was nine years old that was called the Warriors. And it hit me one day. It was Navy blue with red letters across. We were the Cleveland Indians. I had no idea. The Golden State Warriors in basketball. I had no idea this one. They were selling the old gear on the website. And I looked at it and you would be shocked if you looked at what it was. Like it was just terribly savage native imagery um, from like the 1950s. I had no idea that this that they ever had this era because I did not think of warriors in that way. And what was so funny about it was my producer on my podcast pointed it out to me. And I said, wow, and we talked about it on the podcast and sent a link out. All right, after he talked to me about it, I sent a link out on Twitter that was like, wow, I had no idea of this within i want to say a half hour it was down from the nba store like (laughs) nobody had noticed it 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 was just literally nobody noticed it was there 
And I was the one person to be like, yo, this is bananas. And then we <laughs> and the link was gone. Like they might still sell some of that stuff, but right fast that link was gone, gone. because they had just been skating and I had no clue that that was where all okay. that started. So then that brings me to this last question before we go to the break. Where does economics fit into this resistance to change, Bo? Because a lot of teams don't want to change because they think that the fans are going to be angry. Like right now, the Chiefs are starting to get a little bit of pressure. And they said, like, I think like back in 2013, 2014, we are meeting with members of that community and we are trying to make sure and figure out a way. And we are not racist. Just give us a little time to figure it out. But they hadn't done anything since any of those conversations. How much does the economic model of sports play into these teams believing that if they change the fans will leave and we's gonna be broke yeah i don't think it's economics i think it's just white supremacy to be perfectly honest like all the things that the nfl expects us to put up with at every turn and they think that's gonna be the one to make people suddenly stop coming to watch these games that don't make no sense right like they have they have told us over and over again that they believe that no matter what we do don't you worry the people gonna show up as long as you sing the star spangled banner before the game and show some love to the military um then people gonna come to the games so they don't think really that this is gonna stop they might be mad for a little while but they got no problem doing things that make people mad economically my thought and this is clear unless you are like the green bay packers or the dallas cowboys and you have this brand that is just immutable and so strong that if you change it it really like fundamentally alters the experience that people have with it Yeah. yeah like if you're one of those otherwise you just change the name and sell more stuff and get more bread and then bring the other stuff back as a throwback if you want to and figure out some way to do that. Like, I've always thought that the economics would encourage a change in this. And no, I just think that they ain't about to let nobody tell them what to do. And what I thought was the most instructive thing about the period after George Floyd, look how much work we got done when we stopped caring about mad people. Right. It was a month and change where you didn't worry about if it made white folks mad and we got a lot done and they they didn't even actually get that mad. I mean, that was January 6th. But other than that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that but that was, that was no. yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't get mad or right. Maybe they was already on the red line. Right. And there was no place else for them to go. But they but they laid low for, for, for the summer of 2020. Oh, we was bought it, and they was like, "Let them have it. Let let them get it out." Let Crystal, them, let them get it out. Crystal, why do fans hold on to this? Why isn't there something else that they could find that's less racist that represents their town? What does it say about people when they have an inability to just let go of something? Like in Cleveland, there's still artists that sell Chief Wahoo stuff. They like, I'm painting what I want to paint. You ain't going to tell me what to do. What does that say about our society when people think that the identity of the team belongs to them and not to your people? I mean, it just goes to show how, like, again, going back into the psychology of this country and like the deep, like master meta narratives that are around this. It's like, there's something about playing native. It's just such like, it feels like an entitlement and a right. And it's like, it's about anything goes. It doesn't matter what native people say we do. You can come take our land. You can take our culture. You can take our women. You can take everything. And that is like a deeply embedded part of this nationalistic identity and white supremacy. It is, I mean, so many, you talk to any activist, native activist that is working on these issues, at some point you have received death threats, you've received threats of violence. And it's just like, what? This is a damn sports team. This is like, seriously, you're like, I got a threat this morning on Instagram. And it's like, 
what is it about this dude in Kansas that he's like, you know, <laughs> losing his mind about this name change? And I think it really speaks to the heart of white supremacy, this white nationalist identity that unfortunately is just getting fed and and really getting bigger and bigger. And it's just, um, you know, it's it's stunning to me. Right. But it is it's a deep psychology of white supremacy, which has a lot to do about conquering native peoples and taking um, that is just, you know, it's it's what we're fighting against constantly. After the break, Crystal, I want to talk with you more about your research and the things that you all have planned for the future and around the corner in Bomani. Um, I want to talk with you a little bit about the same thing, because, you know, you have for a long time on a number of various platforms been trying to wield that sledgehammer of justice and you already did i didn't even know that story i didn't know you cut off somebody's money on the nba.com merch store <laughs> it was gone so i know that there's a lot that you have to do as a member of the media in bringing these topics to light and i think that you too there's a synergy there and i want to talk about what that struggle is we'll wrap up on the other side of the break this is beyond the scenes Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from life, you know that. His business is failing, his house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger, and we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish all new Sundays at nine on AMC and stream on AMC plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U S that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We have had a very spirited conversation about native imagery in professional sports. Crystal is here and her company is Illuminative. And your company does a lot of, you you, use, you do what people need now, because it's not enough to just go something racist. You got to have data, you got to have numbers, you got to have statistics, because then people go, oh, okay, now you telling the truth. See, I didn't believe you before from just being a member of that community. You got data. 
Talk to us a little bit about the future of your company and how you all are measuring. How do you measure what's wrong? And then how do you measure when you think it's changing? You know, what's the future look like for your company? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when we think about the future of Illuminative, we're just thinking about the future of our of Native peoples, right? And it's about how we're building power through representation. So, you know, despite everything that we've talked about, about Washington, right, that's a victory for Native peoples at the end of the day, right? As we start knocking these things down, but at the same time, like so much of the work that we have done is really to advocate, for example, in entertainment and media, right? About the need for more Native stories in TV and film, more representation across all facets of of media. Um, and so that's a really big focal point of our organizing, our advocacy, both like very outward facing, um, but also behind the scenes, right? Doing a lot of work inside the industry and really forging partnerships with studios so that we can see, you know, last year we had our first two ever Native American television shows. It's crazy it took this long to kind of hit that mark. Um, but they, and they were huge successes, right? So really looking at how we get more of those, you know, stories made and working with studios in that way. I mean, I think it's also a lot of advocacy across all facets of media, right? We still don't have any Native American commentators on any of the major, you know, cable networks, you know, major media outlets. So it's really, again, looking at that advocacy and creating opportunities, you know, for Native peoples, Native voices um, and, and Native stories so that more people can see us and hear us and understand that Native peoples have a lot to say. We are doing a lot. We are contributing a lot. Um, and it's really shifting that narrative so that, you know, Americans can really see who we are today and, and the ways that we're leading and in, innovating across this country. What I what I love about shows like Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs, which are, I, I'm assuming those are the two shows that we're yeah. talking about, mm -hmm. is that it doesn't. It's just people existing and there is a plot and there's a story and it's within the world that you may or may not know something about, but it doesn't come across as this is our story and it's time that you know exactly what is. And it's it's beautiful because it's an easier entry point for people to absorb stuff that they might reject, because let's be real, when you're trying to inform ignorant people, you got to hide the vitamin in the dog food, which Bomani that's something that you are very often very able to do that the caucasian shirt is a perfect example of that like you didn't come on to take a stand it was just yeah i'm just wearing the shirt i thought this was funny it's irony but everybody knows about this right you know what's happening right so when you approach racial injustice in sports not in sports but as a sports as primarily a sports journalist though i think hbo gonna force you out that box a little bit and let you start dibbling I mean, dabbling i mean, I mean i've been out, i've been out that thing for like 20 but i feel you <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you approach covering racial justice in sports let's just keep it sports since that's what this episode is yeah. well i don't think i have a strategy as much as the one thing i know is just don't make it personal you'd be amazed the wide berth that you receive if you don't make it personal Right. Like that's once once you start and, and part of why I'm not inclined to make it but so personal is you actually, in many cases, minimize the overall point when you make it personal, because there are individuals that exist who certainly are racist. There's no question about that. Once you start focusing on whether or not or calling that person racist, the discussion then becomes whether or not that person is racist. And that term racist is used by different people in different ways. There's like a very basic word that you can use but see once you start talking about it as it evolves individuals then you start getting a, a standard that is beyond even a reasonable doubt right like people gonna require you to prove that to the 99th 
percent of confidence on that and everything you say then ultimately winds up being derailed our biggest problem is not individuals our biggest problem is systems our biggest problem are the things that happen that you can't just point a finger at one person and say hey he's the one who did this so for me talking about systems and the things there that isn't difficult and it's not hard to get the room you know for people to be willing to listen like i find that people are willing to listen to me go kind of hard which is a bit surprising but i think the reason (laughs) is you just kind of got it like for me my brother told me something very early on in my career that has guided me. And he was like, a good argument is not one that a genius cannot refute. It is one a fool cannot refute. So I am going to talk to you right where you are. I'm going to come to directly where you are in as direct a fashion as possible, as polite a fashion as possible also, but as direct a fashion as possible. And then dare you to tell me to show me the lie, show me the lie. And by and large, people have like been willing. I, I have been surprised over the course of the last 20 years how much listening to me people are willing to do on these matters. Some of them are lost <laughs> causes, you know, but you can't worry about them. And I think that's the biggest part of it. The people you ain't never going to win over ain't the people you can be concerned with. So as we wrap up here, Crystal, and we look ahead, there are a lot of franchises that for the time being seem inclined to keep their problematic names. Are there things that the casual sports fan, what can we do to help bring light to this? And I'm talking bigger than just black people and other communities of color. I'm just talking about if I'm a fan of the Braves or the Chicago Blackhawks, what can I do as a casual fan to try and bring light to these types of injustices? I mean, one, lean in and get educated, right? Because I think what we find, you know, going back to my original statistic, 80% of people know very little about Native Americans. So one, it's just we see that there's still a lot of education and to understand why these things are harmful. And it's not always just the name. It's all the things associated with it. And then I think making our voices heard. And I'll tell you this, you know, this last, you know, uh, World Series, I was stunned by how many sports reporters actually were like, oh, we get this now and started really challenging the team and its ownership and the MLB commissioner. Like it was a, it was a new dawn this last, this last round in terms of coverage and the level of conversation, you know, about the history of Indian removal, you know, and, and genocide and, and, you know, Georgia and all the things like it really kind of brought it in. So I think people, you know, social media is a powerful tool. And when people start turning up the volume, you lean in and start making your voices heard. The teams are tracking this stuff. Right. And to really be part and parcel of joining that movement, because that's how we started getting it done with Washington and these other ones. Right. They felt the pressure. So it's just really people getting educated. It's engaging in those conversations with your friends and your family and then really being a part of turning up the volume and putting the pressure on these teams to make the change. Yeah, And I think the World Series is a perfect storm, too. It helps that the commissioner of Major League Baseball Cornell degree or not does not appear to be the brightest man in the world because they took that work that they took that all-star game out of Atlanta because of the voting rights stuff that was going on there and then when he got asked about that team name he basically pulled the state's rights argument and said that this is a local matter and not something for us to discuss and we all like so was that voting rights bill homie but you packed up and moved because Delta and all of them told you we're not on board with this and then you left the hypocrisy was laid so bare at mm-hmm. that point that it, i think it did bring on a whole new challenge and i hope something that people learn from that one also is never believe the natives that the team tells you speak for every other native 
Like Dan Snyder had his on call natives Ooh. whenever something would pop I off. I was just mm-hmm. about to ask Crystal about on television. And the Braves got their on call natives and they have a casino deal with them, right? Because the Braves are corporate. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And so like if they are like, nah, nah, come listen to them. If they not like go listen to all of them, they're like, no, listen to these ones right here standing next to me. <laughs> It's probably this, a con. I too guys. have a black friend, and this <laughs> is my native friend. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. exactly. Chief so, Sneed from Eastern Bank got put on blast across Indian country for for what he pulled down there. I mean, I, I saw mean, I, I saw mm-hmm. a bad black horse once. I think I was on outside the line. I don't I don't know if I was on. I was not on. I may have just been watching, but she was on with some whoever Daniel Snyder's on call native was at that time. I just flat out asked him. Are you being paid for this? Which I don't recall him answering. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. What's that conversation like internally? I know black folks, we normally don't get into it publicly because we call it family business. But <laughs> what is that internal strife? Is there a lot of that strife within the native community of like, hey, could you shut the hell up? We're trying to get the name changed over here. Stop oh, I mean, it, no, this time with what happened at the series and I mean, he got put on blast publicly, the tribe did. And I was, I mean, like, I think there was a, a statement that came out of National Congress of American Indians saying things like natives for hire. I mean, the people, gloves came off because it was so crazy that a tribe in the neighboring state said, no, 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 this is where we're, we're going to sign off on this. It's not. The tomahawk chop is not traditional to Eastern Band Cherokee or anybody else. This is an invention of Hollywood, right? And people's fantasies of playing native. Um, so I think this is really people put the tribe, Eastern Band Cherokee, and whatever the smattering of natives that they found in the Atlanta area, that you do not get to make that decision for all of us and for our kids. Um, and so people are people are over it. And I can tell you, like, more and more, especially as these younger generations of natives are coming up, they're done. They're done with these mascots and stuff. It's very generational. The older generationals were, you know, my my dad and my grandparents and everybody above were cool with it. These younger generations, they're done. And so that's that's the shift. Well, I wish that we had more time to really dig into this, but I feel like we got a lot accomplished today. I cannot thank you all enough for going beyond the scenes with me. Bomani Jones, the show is Game Theory, and that's premiering on HBO later this spring, maybe early summer. I do not know your production schedule, but I do know it is coming very, very soon. And Krista Echo Hawk, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing with Illuminative as well to bring about change in this country and the elimination of the Tomahawk Chop as well. Thank you all for going beyond the scenes with me. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.